Good morning, benders and non-benders alike, and welcome back to the Republic City Dispatch, a radio program covering Nickelodeon's Legend of Korra series. This week we'll be covering Chapter 4 of Book 1, Air, The Voice in the Night. Is Republic City drawing closer to an all-out war? Can the Avatar Master Airbending in time to unite the city her predecessor created? This and more with our three hosts, Matt, Dave, and Devendra. Oh man, I feel like I just got back from Kwong's Cuisine. Jazzy you must be music. dressed all fancy. Oh, yeah. It's a little out of my price range, of course. But uh, <laughs> hello again, listeners of the Republic City Dispatch. We're back with our third episode. Amazing, because I feel like we've gotten such a great response. People have been so enthusiastic. So first off, thank you to everyone who's continuing to listen and say nice things. And Indeed. thank you. Yeah. Thank you for not killing us for saying Aang as Ang. You know, <laughs> I blame M. Night Shyamalan again. Oddly enough, between the second episode and now, I have rewatched The Last Airbender. <laughs> film uh, oh god i don't know why i tortured myself it really <laughs> is horrible um, uh, except you know that score that score is J- really good, james so. newton howard is an amazing composer you know it has good mm-hmm. pieces the the effects they spent they definitely spent 200 million dollars on it i have nice things to say yeah but, they uh, definitely spent 200 million dollars on it. that's see the nicest all the money on the screen yeah uh, anywho, back to the things that we really care about, The Legend of Korra. I'm Matt Patches of the Operation Kino podcast, back with my two co-hosts, Dave Seven, also of Operation Kino. Hello. And Devendra Hardwar of the Slash Filmcast. Hello. And uh, one thing before we really dive in, because this episode taught me to be really honest about my fears, I want to say thank you to Dave who has been bending our Tumblr blog out of the arena this week, responding to people's <laughs> questions. I am so way, way too scared of sounding uninformed because I know you're all very passionate people. And But Dave, you're, you're, you're killing it. So I've been you. engaged, and the majority of them are very nice and accepting of me and my dalliances in I, their fandom. I will, I will train harder and come back and try and respond to some questions. <laughs> They're teaching me good. I want to. I want to. Well, but, it's, uh, it's kind of nostalgic for me, right? Because I remember when I was a really fanatic young anime fan who would be really into like all of this stuff. So it's really heartening to see that you know, the uh, the trend continues. Did with you have shows. a like a Dragon Ball Z live journal or a, uh, um, a Zanga? Back in the day, so this was even before Zanga. Like guys, come on! I oh, hand coded my first fan <laughs> website. GeoCities, GeoCities for sure. I'm scared uh, that people don't know what we're talking about right <laughs> yeah, now. <laughs> GeoCities, uh, Angel Fire, tripod. Angel Fire. Yeah. I was all over that stuff, man. Oh, beautiful and, things. Uh, yeah, so, so many animated gifs. I bet. I well, am I glad mean, to see <laughs> fandom lives on. We still have animated GIFs, guys. Have you checked out the Tumblr? That's true. I think I created one from last episode, so I'm to blame for the continuation of that. Anywho, why don't we uh, segue to you, Dave, and do a quick recap of what we saw in this weekend's episode. Yes, so this week, representative of the Northern Water Tribe, Tarlock, proposes to the head council that there should be an anti-equalist task force formed to hunt and stop Amon, because he could take away people's bending. Amon. Uh, Amon, oh my god, you're right. You'll get, you will be bended for that. <laughs> uh, uh, Tenzin uh, disagrees, but he's outvoted. So Amon hijacks like a radio broadcast and starts recruiting more non-benders. I mean, that's how I took it. It's also just really menacing to Korra. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Mako gets hit on a moped by Asami, who is this attractive heir to the Satomobile fortune, which is very convenient. Uh, they flirt and they kick off the love triangle that we'd heard about from things like Comic-Con. And I thought it was going to be Mako, Bolin, and Korra, so it shows that I know nothing. Uh, Tarlock courts uh, 
Korra with a bunch of gifts uh, to try to get her to join the task force. And when he realizes that's not going to work, he sets up this elaborate media scheme to shame Korra into leading his task force. And uh, meanwhile, Mako gets funding for the Fire Ferrets to go to the pro-bending championship off of Asami's rich dad, Hiroshi, who runs the Future Industries. Um, but Korra doesn't come to practice because she's out raiding these chi-blocking training centers with Tarlock and the task force and some waterbending awesome army guys, which is great because they've been absent in my mind <laughs> and now they're not. Um, but later on, Korra gets cocky and challenges Amon to a duel on the island uh, with a big Aang statue on it. And uh, Amon shows up with chi-blocking ninjas and they take her out uh, pretty quickly. And instead of taking her bending away, Mon says that he has a plan and he's saving her for last and knocks her out where we get this sudden flashback to adult Sokka and Toph and some regretful eyes like in a some sort of room and then Aang flies at us. <laughs> and uh, Very and detailed. She, yep. And as everybody's freaking out because they're trying to process what we just saw, uh, Tenzin comes in and finds Korra and revives her and Korra realizes that she's scared. That, that, was, very, you, that was very astute. Dave. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Well, I think that this episode really structurally held together because um, just starting off with the dream sequence to put that fear of like Cora's worst fear um, of being like just suddenly her bending is taken away when she wasn't even expecting a fight and then sort of building how she first uses that to sort of stay away from the task force because she doesn't want to give in to that fear but then is like literally shamed into thinking that she's awesome. And then she's able to take down like these really half cha- half trained people and thinks that she's awesome enough to like go up against the bad guy. And uh, it's all just her way of avoiding this fear that she's she has. She's in a very bad place right now. She's yes. dealing with much more than I was when I was 17. <laughs> well, I don't think anyone was like send Matt patches to save the city. So, well, you don't. I know think it's a lot just different. My growing up, um, <laughs> Devendra, what what struck you about this episode the most? I think uh, it was particularly interesting that there wasn't too much action going on. Like this is the first episode that we've seen that really heightened up the drama, and I think in a good way. Right? You have uh, Korra doing the whole reluctant hero thing, um, and we've seen this time and time again. And uh, even Aang dealt with this in the original series. But the issues she's dealing with are just much deeper now because, like, she has all this stuff on her, her so- shoulders, um, you know, potentially dealing with Amon, um, trying to help the city come back together. She doesn't even have time to think about how she's, like, letting the fire ferrets down. So just really interesting drama. And I'm, I love that they can actually spend the time on the character yeah. development in a show like this. A- applause for the writers because... I think that we really needed this episode now. I felt like the pacing, while I was really excited by it, these first mm-hmm. two episodes, are, or the first three episodes, have been going so quickly. We've we've learned so much in a short amount of time at whirlwind pace. Like, I almost wanted to... I'm glad I got this episode because I could soak in the world a little bit more and really get in Korra's head. And I think because it's a more mature show than something like Airbender, where you can have that episodic feel, like I needed to step back and try, kind of let less happen maybe and let the foreboding what she's experienced kind of build up bubble up yeah i mean even how the episode is designed uh it's different from the previous like even when we saw the city at night uh last episode in episode three this one it's you're either pushing into a daytime structure or spinning or dissolving into like a nighttime like scary shadow world that's lit from crazy angles and uh 
you know, only reveals certain beautiful art. And it's just amazing that it's like they just took the entire episode and like we're going to drench this in this like sphere with a little bit of relationship stuff on the side. But mm-hmm. if you're with Korra, it's like not okay. And it's uh, even the when the action does come about, it's like sudden and, you know, weird. And it, it seems like it's it's like Korra could always be part of a team because she's afraid to step up and be the leader that she... So it's like she does really well with the task force and she does really well with the fire ferrets, but she's incapable of giving either of them what they want because she just doesn't have that ability to shine on her own. Yeah. Uh, this episode was just really, really foreboding. It actually reminded me of something like Twin Peaks almost, uh, because of, not just because of the dream sequences, but it seemed like everything was just kind of layering on top of Korra in this episode. Like by the time... You know, she sees um, when she sees Mako, um, you know, with Asami, like that's that's just like the icing on the cake on this whole like dramatic <laughs> uh, fail cake for her. Like everything <laughs> is going terribly. So, yeah. And then the episode ends with her getting beat up and just being completely defeated and crying. Yeah. So it's incredibly yeah, emotional. Heavy stuff. That last scene was like that really hit me. Um, and I think the other thing what you were talking about, I like the Twin Peaks comparison mm-hmm. that's really interesting to me which for all of you listening if i think is on netflix watch instantly if you want to catch up on that show which you must um every character including all the new ones that we meet in this episode have this hidden agenda i can just feel it mm-hmm. um tarlock i'm more scared of tarlock than i am of amon you know the way he pushes cora the way he wants to use it tenzin calls him out in that scene that first scene that um really interesting council meeting where different air or different bending figureheads are, are meeting to discuss. Mm-hmm. Uh, he calls him out. He says, you're using this for political and power gain. And it's obvious, but Tarlock doesn't, he can manipulate. He's a manipulator. And that's <laughs> more also, scary to me than even evil, like making people's bending go away. Indeed. He has that evil anime face. <laughs> he too. does. So you, you have to know he's bad, right? He's slender yeah. and, uh, <laughs> He's the yeah, he's the signature bad guy. But every uh, every new character that shows up in this episode drops like a crazy like backstory bomb. So like you could you could like almost go through it. You have Tarlock who in the middle of his like opening speech is like, "Well, Aang took down Yakone 42 years ago when he threatened the city and then Tenzin shuts him down." And then Asami comes along and later on in the episode she's like Oh, I didn't really know my mother. She died young. And then we meet her father, Hiroshi Sato, who invented the Sato mobile. But he also tells this story about how he was like, first of all, the first like real American thing that has ever been on the series. Like the series (laughs) has a real like uh, Eastern influence. But uh, Mr. Sato is like the Henry Ford Ford, pulling himself up from the bootstraps. Uh, But he uh, sort of drops that somebody gave him his start, like believed in him and gave him a whole bunch of money to start his Sadomobile company. And it, I mean, on Nick.com, it says it might be the cabbage man. So that would be funny. <laughs> I, I feel but, like that is a, that's a throw for fans. I don't know if that's going to weave in. I don't know. It's amazing. It's true. They all, they all show up and they all, you know, are colorful characters on their own, but they all drop these huge like backstory bombs. And I almost think that the writers are enjoying it because they're telling this great story that lives on its its own and they know that we're out there being like but who was that is now is like uh, oh god is uh, asami like azula's daughter all of it like oh uh. 
But do you, do you actually think that every bit will come back into play? Like, are we overanalyzing at this point? I mean, I mean, I have no idea. I've spent a lot of time trying to connect things to the promise, and now it looks like we're actually going to spend a lot of time 42 years ago at this other event mm-hmm. uh, that has to do with uh, Aang taking down a threat to the city, because it seems like that's going to be a parallel action. So when she does get to talk to Aang, if she ever gets to the Avatar state, or... Um, have flashbacks when she's knocked out because of something we haven't learned about yet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I think it's going to be to this other event where it's sort of like Aang had to draw his line in the sand and be you know an avatar to save the city, which is exactly what Korra is going to have to do. That is really interesting that she's having the flashbacks. I'm not exactly sure why because you know the visual style of Aang going into the spiritual world or what I'm I'm trying to remember if there was an instance in Airbender where Aang was having flashbacks I well, mean, we saw wanna... memories of his airbending life mm-hmm. if you if you really want to geek out about it I the do. way Amon hits her he might just like hit her like chi spot right <laughs> like who I love the chi theories I just love the people with the diagrams I know Dave you put a couple up too People were getting yeah. really hardcore into the. Well, team. but I mean, if you look at the way he hits her, it looks like he like is going to poke her with two fingers, right, but they go right. to the side of her head. Anyway, it point point being like Amon has Amon. Thank you. Thank God I <laughs> caught myself there. Amon has a plan, and his plan might be. I mean, he knows that Korra has to be his last enemy, which is exactly what he says. And so maybe he's the one that's going to start her off on this journey of discovering, you know, her connection to Aang. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, I think knowing how, um, first of all, we've talked about, like, how sympathetic they've been making Amon. It, it wouldn't be very hard for, like, you know, them to realize that maybe they shouldn't be fighting each other. And maybe there's, like, a bigger enemy that they both need to worry about. But then why would he be taking the bending away? I mean, I guess we've only seen him taking the bending away from people who are bad. Right, right. Um, but then why would he do that? If later, I, mean, I, I mean, I think his motivations are very clear. And I actually think, like, he thinks he's legit. Korra thinks she's legit. And then we have this new, you know, we have Tarlock in the mix, who's clearly using Korra to, like, and using the threat of Amon to increase his power in the city, too. Like, there's there's all these power dynamics going on. Um, I think, like, all of us think that Tarlock is sort of going to be the bigger, the bigger problem here. Like, uh, he seems like almost like the Emperor in Star Wars, right? Like, mm-hmm. he... You see him uh, growing up there. This is sort of like his Palpatine phase until he like um, actually becomes the emperor maybe later in the series. Yeah, or something. He's, he's a whisperer right now. He's exactly. behind. He's in everybody's ear trying to sway them. Yeah, with gifts and really backhanded fancy parties. I thought it was kind of creepy, um, I, actually. <laughs> gifts and like, is he making the moves on Korra? Am I digging too deep? <laughs> Do you do you buy people cars? I know nothing about your life patches. Yeah, if you're yeah, like really courting don't. a woman, or you're like, here's a car. <laughs> well, I don't buy them cars. I buy them safety. It, it was a, to be clear. No, oh, of, of of course. Um, I think like we should mention the uh, Mako uh, Asami storyline. Oh well, I definitely just want to a little because bit. I know that 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 was the thing that intrigued me most about this episode. Um, like I like that we're allowed to follow Mako without uh, Korra. Which is an interesting thing. Like, now they're real characters, and we can follow them and do things without Korra. And uh, meeting Asami, again, like, someone with an agenda. Someone I don't really understand yet, but I'm so intrigued by. But, like, I want to know more, because she's coming from this rich family. And what is her status? And why Mm -hmm. is Tarlock introducing Korra to her dad? You know, it's all these... um, Yeah, she coincidentally crashed into Mako 
you know, th- this has all the makings of some sort of weird conspiracy. Um, my my far-fetched theory, um, just like Bolin dying, folks, which don't be surprised if that happens. Um, but my far-fetched theory is that Asami <laughs> is uh, is either Amon or very related to him. Um, we talked about how uh, Amon's backstory kind of resembled Batman, and just what we're seeing from Asami right now, she could easily be like a sort of Catwoman figure too. And uh, yeah, like the bored rich girl who's maybe tired of her father's uh, rich empire or something. Although, do you think it's a little obvious if Korra's arch nemesis ends up being Asami, another <laughs> female character? I wonder. <laughs> Would that be obvious? I mean, I guess I want to see Korra take down a big lumbering dude, but <laughs> Asami, <laughs> if she's as intelligent and cunning as she seems from this first introduction, could be a very devious enemy for her um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. someone who's really in touch with herself where cora is not and must overcome that i like that idea um i just feel like everyone's against cora right now so mm-hmm. trying to figure out who is the bad guy it seems like everyone is and that's <laughs> I like it's really, really bad terrifying for yeah, except really for tenzin this episode basically except for tenzin which is yes. I, I do want to say this and dave i know you wanted to skip but I know that some people think that Tenzin could potentially be Amon, and after watching this episode, I don't. I just cannot. I would not be happy. Does not to see compute. That happen. He's too nice, and he's too fatherly to her. To have that reversal, man, we'd have to see some serious craziness. Yeah, in this that show. would be a reversal for you know plot twist's sake. That would be a Shyamalan esque move. And I, I, and I can't think... imagine they'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like first of all, yeah, I don't think they'd even ally their, themselves with anything relate to Shyamalan again um but yeah it's it that seems like such a leap just in terms of the characters and the ways the story set up so far it just doesn't doesn't make any sense so I, I'm, I'm kind of curious mm-hmm. what you guys think about how this is starting to weave together kind of bigger picture maybe we already touched on this um but after the introduction of the Satos and kind of where Mako is being pulled I'm kind of curious what Korra is going to have to achieve to beat Amon. I know you're saying, Davindra, that you think that eventually they'll have to see eye to eye, but, like, I, I'm well, still confused where you think first. that will happen. Like, I think she'll definitely, like, they'll fight, she'll defeat him somehow, but, you know, I don't think he'll be a character that she'll be forced to kill. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I think that we have a lot of, I think, uh, what's... Next week's episode is called The Spirit of Competition, which I'm hoping means that we're going back to pro-bending land. Um, But I think it's... uh, I mean, I have no idea, obviously, because I was so wrong about where I thought this one was going to go. But I would say (laughs) now, you know, Korra is going to have to go on her little spiritual journey through training, completing her training, because, like, the threat has made itself very present. Uh, I don't think that we have enough episodes left. We're a quarter of the way through to wait a third of the way through. Third away. Yeah. Uh, we don't have enough time for her to like wallow in her fear. So I think that the fact that this episode was so drenched in it means that we're not going to see a, you know, an inactive Cora that we're not going to be happy with. Right. So um, I keep forgetting the I time think- frame that we're working with. You know, I keep thinking back to Airbender where it was how many episodes per book? Like, 23 or 20 some I it, it was, was, past, it was a, yeah it was, it was a great 20. deal of episodes they have a lot of time to play with and there's not much time here so no mm-hmm. wonder it's moving rapidly but to, again like what we were saying to take a break and kind of slow down and get in her head in this episode I think next episode could really ramp up with the conflict the external conflict definitely and I think it's really focusing which is nice 
And occasionally I, you know, get worried that something's not going to get serviced. Like I'm not going to get as much metal bending as I want, metal bending as I want, <laughs> or I'm not going to learn who's related to who. But then I'm like, you know, this is the series that I loved uh, and never answered who Zuko's mother was. So or what happened to her? So and they're still stringing I, us along. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna just embrace it because it's been amazing. This episode, I really fell for it as like a standalone piece, even um, about just bringing Cora where she needs to be for our like second act of our season. Yeah, can we uh, jump to the the end of the episode and this flashback that Cora has and kind of dig into that? I, there's some specific imagery that. Toff in a police uniform, <laughs> Ang in a trial, angry eyes of somebody I don't know, Ang's sick goatee flying at us while he's like going to, on to attack. I, I'm really curious if you think that's connected to Tarlock's uh, Yukon, uh, is that y- Yukon, Yakon uh, reference earlier in the episode and kind of like what that is going to play into her. I think it's Yukon. Yukon, gotcha. But um, yeah, I mean... Yes, I I still think it's going to be a parallel journey that she has to learn about, and that's going to be her connection to what came before her. Because, I mean, it's not... I, I thought we were going to spend a lot of time this episode talking about the Avatar state, just because it seemed like the natural time to bring in Aang, and then they brought it in by this flashback. So mm-hmm. it makes me think that it's not about the Avatar state and connecting to what an Avatar is. It's very specifically that... Aang created this city and it's the one thing that he did as Avatar that no previous Avatar did and now the Avatar is semi-responsible for this city and so it becomes like an additional level of training that no Avatars had to go through before and I think we're going to see it through this like parable of whatever Aang did to stop somebody. Right. The thing is like it's not a huge exploration, right? It's not like some distant path that nobody knows. Like all she has to do is ask Tenzin what happened. (laughs) <laughs> so, yeah, compared to, like, Aang's journey, right, where he had to literally go to the spirit world, talk to the gods, and talk to, talk, you know, discuss his past lives from generations ago. But that's, I yeah. guess, what I'm really mm-hmm. curious about, what her big, what what her, what she's going to learn. Um, because, you know, like you said, Aang had this, like, in touch with the spiritual world thing, and while Korra is not in touch with her spiritual side, and that's kind of her conceit, her problem. Mm-hmm. I don't really know, like, what the big hurdle she'll have to cross is. And it kind of, and I'm going to drop this bomb, Dave, sorry. Um, right. I am starting to think that Korra might not be the Avatar. What do you think dun, about dun, that? Dun. I think that's very possible, actually. I, I'm really curious, and I'll, I'll state a few reasons, because I feel like I'm going to get a response from people on this. But, um... <laughs> You know, Korra, or, or the world that we are in in Republic City, has evolved, and people, more people seem to be bending, more people's bending powers seem to have evolved. I wonder if someone might just be capable of bending multiple elements at a certain point, even though yeah. that is an Avatar quality, and why Korra, at a very, very young age, is identified as the Avatar. It just seems logical. She's there, people, she's doing all these powers, but she can't do airbending for some reason. Yeah. And that kind of has been staying with me for a while like why can't she and why uh, she's having issues and i know she can do the dance in the like wood things from episode two but it still seems like maybe she will never be able to do airbending maybe she's not the avatar Mm -hmm. maybe amon can start pulling people's bending powers because he 
is the actual avatar. <laughs> or maybe he can do something with all those powers he's building up and then he'll be somebody who can channel multiple bending styles. Yeah. Like there, there are several ways to play with that. Uh, that's one twist I think is very possible. Or at the very least, like what we're seeing, you know, we talked about how, um, you know, every, there are more people doing metal bending now and electricity bending or lightning bending. And uh, the things that used to be really specialized, and I've seen this in some comments too, um, uh, on our Tumblr, like things that used to be really specialized are now kind of more mainstream in general. So it wouldn't make sense in like a, I guess, spoilers for Buffy <laughs> later on, but it, it would make sense to kind of spread out that uh, that thing that makes the avatar special right. and either have more than one avatar, maybe like some sort of soul splitting going on or something. There are definitely ways that they can play with these rules. I, I just don't know if this world needs an avatar and if maybe that's the big moment <laughs> of this of this series, of this story, that the world no longer needs an avatar and Korra can kind of be the person to help people understand that and that they can all get along because of that. There is no class system if we're some are benders, some are not, and we can all be friendly because there's no one, there's no like god or overpowering person. <laughs> Except the city's so ruled if, entirely by benders, <laughs> from what we've seen. Yeah. If, that, if that's true and James Cameron's avatar is still popular, <laughs> do you think they'll re release the original series as Airbender, the last avatar? <laughs> well, it's funny that you mentioned the name and getting into semantics because at the end of the day, they did not put avatar or, you know, they did not put the word avatar in the title of the show. Mm-hmm. I think that it's was just, just avoiding the uh, the legal conflict again. Really? Like potentially. Like well, the, the, the reason why The Last Airbender couldn't have been didn't have Avatar in the title was because of the whole James Cameron fight. So if anything bigger happens with The Legend of Korra, I think they're just uh, trying to avoid that entirely. Well, maybe I'm like, reading too much into it. I don't know. You, you could be right. So who knows? We should let's let's do this email because we're kind of circling yeah. around that at that <laughs> anyway uh this is from ent who says hey guys you mentioned the last episode about wanting to know how the more specialized forms of bending metal and lightning came about that got me thinking that it seems each of the four major bending forms has a more unique and specialized version earth metal fire lightning water blood but nothing for air this could be because airbenders were all wiped out just wondering what your thoughts would be. What could the specialization of air be? And will this be explored on the show? Loving the show. Keep up the good work. And before we respond, the Avatar Wicca, Wicca's official response is there is no uh, specialization of air. So I, all things I, are on the table. I feel like I have a guess. And that would be chi bending. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that would be why other people can do it. And that's why Aang could do it in the first place, theoretically. Oh, okay. And then maybe that's also why air produces monks, is it's the more spiritual connection. You know? Right. That's what I think the extension of air would be, it less less literal and more like internal spiritual thing. Right. And especially if, if maybe if that's what she needs to learn, you know, getting in touch with the spiritual side, we can discover the extension of airbending as that, if she is the avatar. Which, okay, I'm starting to believe that maybe she is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I don't think it'll end up that she's not the avatar at all like i think she the the definition of the avatar as we know it from the original series i feel like she fits into that we'll see her learn bending eventually but what i think we will see is other people who can juggle multiple powers um either via technology or some other ways because what we're seeing in this series is definitely technology taking a, a greater role and kind of uh you know just kind of making what used to be special less special and uh, I, I wonder, like, if they ever do, like, a third series, do another 70-year jump 
they'll basically be doing you know the Avatar universe in modern day, and that would be really interesting. I'm I'm salivating. Well, by the so. time by the time we get it, it won't be modern day anymore. It'll be like remember <laughs> the nineties. Remember oh. the nineties. <laughs> Excellent. Well, are there any uh, small moments that you want to address and gush about before we wrap things up here? Well, you guys were talking about the lighting before in this yes. episode, and uh, that, I definitely saw that quite a bit, but especially in the scene where Korra is like fighting the uh, the crazy mask ninjas and the, the fire is just lighting up the whole place. Just some great, uh, great light work there. And I, I also want to say that I um, I loved a small appearance by Bai Fong in this episode where she just comes up to Korra and totally I hate gives you. her a new one. <laughs> I really I want to I definitely want to learn more about her. Me too. And uh, apparently Toph is still alive in this universe and it's like traveling the world teaching metal bending. So I want to yeah, I'm really interested in this. And we got a little we huh. got a taste of Toph uh, mm-hmm. in in the flashback. I guess dressed as a police officer and. Uh, Yes, I'm very curious about their relationship, and uh, I feel like there's no time. I don't know what's – there's not enough episodes. I need more. The show's making me really anxious. I want to I, I point out that uh, Mako and Asami sit in a giant heart, literally, for when they're having dinner. <laughs> and it's like, way to send a message very subtly, guys. Well, I feel like now the inclusion of Asami should uh, rid Devendra of his theories that Mako could be bad. What do you think about that? That Mako could be bad. I mean, yeah, we, I, we we tease the possibility of that. We, jump. Uh, I mean, the, the uh, yeah, I guess the potential of that is still there. Um, but yeah, I honestly don't think, uh, especially with all these new players and with uh, somebody like Tarlock around, it would. They definitely seem like bigger threats. Someone has to be good. <laughs> there was when the fighting actually went down, and we got to see some badass water bending. Uh, there was like this weird moment that hadn't happened in any of the fighting before where they literally used a matrix sound cue and it slowed down to show us her freezing to like grenades, <laughs> which was interesting because I was just like, oh, weird matrix sound cue and uh, speed ramping. OK, um, but it was it just stood out because uh, the action in this one was so fast and furious and compared to like long drawn out battles. It's like even the chi blocking. It's like once once we visually understand what chi blocking is, it's like now it's just like they hit her five times in the spine and she passes out. <laughs> it's yeah, everything's faster and dangerous. It was it was really cool to watch. But yeah, I mean, I think this was a great episode again to emphasize like how much I loved that we're just in her head now. And I feel, I think they're nailing the attitude of the person Cora's age, you know, Mm -hmm. and all the stuff they have to deal with. And I think it's also prepping everyone who's watching it for history classes in the future. If I, you know, this is a political lesson here, so you'll, you'll you'll ace your history exams. (laughs) I'm not as into Mako's scarf as I am into Bolin's Pabu. So more Pabu in the future. More, more Pabu? I yes. feel like Bolin is going to get his heart broken sometime soon, and <laughs> Pabu will have to comfort him, because I don't think Korra's going yes. for it. <laughs> I hope, I hope they, they need to introduce another person that he can fall back onto, because he needs a love interest. Bolin deserves everything he wants. <laughs> before I, I he now dies. love him again. Before he dies. Yeah, before he dies. Oh, <laughs> to make his death even sadder. 
Oh. Well, yes. Uh, not only that, but it's not going to be that depressing for Bolin because next week, uh, Saturday, May 5th at 11 a.m. on Nickelodeon is The Spirit of Competition, Episode 5. And we'll be back with another podcast. But I wanted to say that we had a request from some international users uh, for transcriptions of the episodes. And unfortunately, the three of us are too busy. But I threw on the Tumblr that if anybody wanted to volunteer, they should send an email to da7e.gonzales at gmail.com. And I will tell you guys when the episodes are up and put you on an email chain. And people have been volunteering to transcribe parts of the episode for international listeners. So if you want to volunteer, stop by the Tumblr at republiccitydispatch.com. That would be very nice of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it would <laughs> yes it would well I think that about wraps That's things it. up uh, announcement wise we'll be back next week with another episode keep checking back on the tumblr uh, we're updating more and more hopefully I'll uh, step up and eventually do something if not Dave I'm <laughs> sure we'll have lots of amazing posts and animated gifts to <laughs> treat you with and again we will have Okay. We will have either a special guest or a female guest host in the month of May. At some point. And um, review, review us on iTunes, please, please, please. Yes. Uh, thank you for all the good comments, and we can always use more. So iTunes and contribute on Tumblr, send us emails, do everything. We, we love all the response. Uh, so why don't we sign off here? Davindra? Yes, uh, you guys can find me online at uh, twitter.com slash Devendra. I write about technology at venturebeat.com, and I podcast about movies and TV at slashfilm.com. I am Dave with a 7. That's spelled D-A-7-E. That's also my Twitter handle. I am on the Operation Kino Show podcast uh, at opkino.com every week with patches. We talk about movies and pop culture and write at latino-review.com. And I'm Matt Patches. You can find me on Twitter at Mr. M-I-S-T-E-R Patches, P-A-T-C-H-E-S. I'm the movies editor of Hollywood.com, the co-host of Operation Kino, and uh, we'll be back next week. <laughs>